64,000 is the median number of words per book. Average person reads about 200 words per minute. Simple math will tell us that is one book in 320 minutes. To accomplish this in seven days, numbers say you would have to read for 45 minutes a day. Don't forget to subscribe. Hit that notification button, like, comment, and share. Enjoy. Hello, and happy day. How does slowing down sound to you today? Would you like to reduce the noise for just a bit? Are you ready to make a choice and decide to listen? My name is Igor S.F. Walker, and I am here to remind people to slow down, to reduce the noise, to walk their lives into a natural flow. Welcome back to the Book of the Week series. Every week, as I read another amazing title, I share it with the world. Today, we look at Dopamine Nation, Finding Balance in the Age of Indulgence by Anna Lemke. In this video, we look at a book about pleasure. It is also about pain. Most important, it is about the relationship between pleasure and pain and how understanding that relationship has become essential for a life well lived. Now the question is, why in a time of unprecedented wealth, freedom, technological process and medical advancement, do we appear to be unhappier and in more pain than ever? Reasons we're all so miserable are maybe because we are working so hard to avoid being miserable. Stick around till the end. I will share with you some tools I haven't used that will help you tremendously in this game of life. Discover a way to find out what actually motivates you. What innate human need is driving all of your decisions and your behavior. I will share some tools to improve your self-awareness, social awareness, self-management and relationship management. The smartphone in the modern day is the hypodermic needle delivering digital dopamine 24-7 for a wired generation. If you haven't met your drug of choice yet, it is coming soon to a website near you. Scientists rely on dopamine as a kind of universal currency for measuring the addictive potential of any experience. The more dopamine in the brain's reward pathway, the more addictive the experience. One of the most remarkable neuroscientific findings of the past century is that the brain processes pleasure and pain in the same place. Further, pleasure and pain are like the opposite sides of a balance. The term double life is as familiar to me as ST segment elevation is to the cardiologist. Stage four is to the oncologist. And hemoglobin A1C is to endocrinologist. It actually refers to the addicted person secret engagement with drugs, alcohol, or other compulsive behavior hidden from view, even in some cases from their own. Addiction 
broadly defined, is a continued and a compulsive consumption of a substance or a behavior, gambling, gambling gaming, sex, despite its harm to self and or others. One of the biggest risk factors for getting addicted to any drug is easy access to that drug. When it is easier to get the drug, we are more likely to try it, and in trying it, we are more likely to get addicted to it. Does the mental illness lead to drug use? Does drug use cause or unmask mental illness, or is it somewhere in between? Trauma, social upheaval, and poverty contribute to addiction risk as drug drugs become means of coping and they lead to epigenetic changes, heritable changes to the strand of DNA outside of the inherited base pairs, affecting gene expression in both the individual and their offspring. These risk factors, notwithstanding increased access to addictive substances, may be most important risk factor facing modern people. Supplies create a demand, as well as we all fall prey to the vortex of the compulsive overuse. Our dopamine economy, or what historian David Courtright has called limbic capitalism, is driving this change aided by transformational technology that has increased not just access, but drug numbers, variety, and potency. Human beings are social animals. When we see others behaving in a certain way online, those behaviors seem normal, because other people are doing them. Twitter is an apt name for the social media messaging platform favored by pundits and presidents alike. We are like flocks of birds. No sooner has one of us raised a wing in flight, then the entire flock of us is rising into the air. The poor and undereducated, especially those living in rich nations, are most susceptible to the problem of compulsive overconsumption. They do have easy access to high-reward, high-potency, high-reward drugs, and at the same time they lack access to the meaningful work, safe housing, quality education, affordable health care, and race and class equality before the law. This creates a dangerous nexus of addiction risk. Our compulsive overconsumption risk might not be not just our demise, but that of our planet. Opioid overdoses killed more Americans than guns or car accidents. Now, beyond extreme examples of running from pain, we have lost the ability to tolerate even minor form of discomfort. We're constantly seeking to distract ourselves from the present moment, to be entertained. We use drugs, prescribed or otherwise, to compensate for basic lack of self-care. Then we attribute to cost to a mental illness, thus necessitating the need for more drugs. Hence, poisons become vitamins. Dopamine was first identified as a neurotransmitter in human brain in 1957 by two scientists working independently, Harold Carlson 
in Sweden. And Kathleen Montagnu, based outside of London, Carlson went on to win the Nobel Prize in Physiology and Medicine. And dopamine is not the only neurotransmitter in the reward processing, but most neuroscientists agree it is one of the most important ones. Debates about differences about motivation and pleasure notwithstanding, dopamine is used to measure the addictive potential of any behavior or drug. The more dopamine the drug releases in the brain's pathway, the brain's circuit that links the ventral tegmental area, the nucleus accumbens, and the prefrontal cortex, and the faster it releases dopamine, the more addictive the drug or behavior. This is not to say that high dopamine substances literally contain dopamine, rather they trigger the release of dopamine in our brain's reward pathway. For a rat in a box, chocolate increases the basal output of dopamine in the brain by 55%, sex by 100%, nicotine by 150 and cocaine by 225%. Amphetamines, the active ingredient in the street drug speed, <coughs> ice, as well as in medications like Adderall that are used to treat attention deficit disorder, increase the release of dopamine by 1,000%. By this accounting, one hit of meth pipe is equal to 10 orgasms. In the 1970s, social scientist Richard Solomon and John Corbett called this reciprocal relationship between pleasure and pain the opponent process theory. Any prolonged or repeated departures from hedonic or affective neutrality had a cost. That cost is an after-reaction that is opposite in value to the stimulus. Or as the old saying goes, what goes up must come down. As it turns out, many physiological processes in the body are governed by these similar self-regulating systems. <clears throat> With prolonged heavy drug use, the pleasure-pain balance eventually gets weighted to the side of pain. Our hedonic pleasure set-point changes as our capacity to experience pleasure goes down and our vulnerability to pain goes up. The paradox is that hedonism the pursuit of pleasure for its own sake leads to anhedonia, which is the inability to enjoy pleasure of any kind. A pleasure-pain balance tilted to the side of pain is what drives people to relapse, even after sustained periods of abstinence, when our balance is tilted to the pain side. We crave our drug just to feel normal, level balance. The neuroscientist George Carb calls this phenomena dysphoria-driven relapse, wherein a return to using is driven not by the search for pleasure, but by the desire to alleviate physical and psychological suffering of protracted withdrawal. Now here's the good news, if we wait long enough, 
our brains usually readapt to the absence of the drug and we re-establish baseline homeostasis level balance. Once our balance is level, we are again able to take pleasure in everyday simple rewards, going for a walk, watching the sunrise, enjoying a meal with friends. Gambling disorder highlights the subtle distinction between reward and anticipation. Dopamine release prior to the reward and the reward response, dopamine release after or during the reward. Now, patients with gambling addiction have said that while playing, a part of them wants to lose. The more they lose, the stronger the urge to continue gambling and the stronger the rush when they do win. A phenomenon described as loss chasing. I suspect something similar is going on with social media apps, where the response of others is so capricious and unpredictable that the uncertainty of getting a like or some comment is as reinforcing as the like itself. The brain encodes long-term memories of the reward and their associated cues by changing the shape and size of dopamine producing neurons. For example, the dendrites, the branches of the neuron, become longer and more numerous in response to high dopamine reward. This process is called experience-dependent plasticity. As the neuroscientist Daniel Friedman, who studied the four aging practices of red harvest ants, once remarked, the world is sensory rich and casually poor. That is, we know that the donut tastes good in the moment, but we are less aware that eating a donut for a month adds five pounds to our waistline. Second, young people, even heavy users, are more immune to the negative consequences of use. As one high school teacher said, some of my best students smoke pot every day. As we age, however, the unintended consequences of chronic use multiply. Many of us use high dopamine substances and behavior to distract ourselves from our own thoughts. When we first stop using dopamine to escape, those painful thoughts, emotions, and sensations come crashing down on us. Now, the trick is to stop running away from painful emotions and instead allow ourselves to tolerate them. When we are able to do this, our experience takes on a new and unexpectedly rich texture. The pain is still there, yet it is somehow transformed, seeming to encompass a vast landscape of communal suffering rather than being wholly our own. In today's dopamine-rich ecosystem, we have all become primed for immediate gratification. We want to buy something and the next day it shows up on our doorstep. We want to know something and the next second the answer appears on our screen. Are we losing the knack of puzzling things out? Or being frustrated while we search for the answers? Or having to wait for the things we want? Choosing immediate versus delayed rewards. They found that when participants choose immediate rewards, emotion and reward processing part of the brain lit up. 
when participants delayed their reward, the prefrontal cortex, part of the way brain involved in planning and abstract thinking, it became active. The implication here is that we are all now vulnerable to prefrontal pr cortex atrophy, as our reward pathway has become the dominant driver of our lives. Dopamine's ancient role in physical movement relates to the role in motivation to obtain the object of our desire. We need to go get it. Of course, today's easy access dopamine doesn't require us to get even off the couch. According to the survey reports, typical American today spends half their waking hours sitting, 50% more than 50 years ago. Now, data from other rich nations around the globe are very much comparable. When you consider that we have evolved to traverse tens of kilometers daily to compete for limited supply of food, the adverse effects of our modern sedentary lifestyle are devastating. Extreme sports, skydiving, kitesurfing, bobsledding, downhill skiing, snowboarding, waterfall kayaking, ice climbing, mountain biking, canyon swinging, bungee jumping, base jumping, wingsuit flying, slam down hard and fast. On the pain side of the pleasure-pain balance, intense pain-fear plus a shot of adrenaline, which creates a potent drug. Now, scientists have shown that stress alone can increase the release of dopamine in the brain's reward pathway, leading to the same brain changes seen with addictive drugs like cocaine and methamphetamines. Just as we become tolerant to pleasure stimuli, with repeated exposure, so too can we become tolerant to painful stimuli, resetting our brains to the side of pain. People who do lean too hard and too long on the pain side of the balance can also end up in a persistent dopamine deficient state. Too much pain or in too potent of a form can increase the risk of becoming addicted to pain, something witnessed in clinical practice. If we do consume too much pain or in too potent of a form, we run the risk of compulsive, destructive overconsumption. But if we consume just the right amount, inhibiting great pain with little pain, we discover the path to hermetic healing and maybe even the occasional fit of joy. Now, radical honesty, telling the truth about things large and small, especially when doing so exposes our foils and entails consequences, is actually essential not just to recovery from addiction, but for all of us trying to live a more balanced life in our reward-saturated ecosystem. And it works on so many levels. Radical honesty pro promotes awareness of our actions. Second, it fosters intimate human connection. Third, it leads to a truthful autobiography, which holds us accountable not just to our present, but to our future selves. Further, telling the truth is contagious and it might even prevent the development of future addiction. Intimacy is its own source of dopamine. Oxytocin, a hormone much involved with falling in love, mother-child bonding, and lifetime peer bonding of sexual mates, binds to receptors on the dopamine-secluding neurons in the brain's reward pathways, and it enhances the firing of the reward circuit tracts. 
In other words, oxytocin leads to an increase in brain dopamine. When the people around us are reliable and they tell us the truth, including keeping promises they have made to us, we feel more confident about the world and our own future in it. We feel we can rely not just on them, but also on the world to be an orderly, predictable, safe kind of a place. Even in the midst of scarcity, we feel confident that things will turn out okay. This is a plenty mindset. When the people around us lie and don't keep their promises, we feel less confident about the future. The world becomes a dangerous place, and it cannot be relied upon to be orderly, to be predictable, to be safe. So we go into competitive survival mode and favor short-term gains over long-term ones. We become dependent of actual material wealth. This is a scarcity mindset. Now the question is, why do so many of us living in rich nations with abundant material resources nonetheless operate in our daily lives with a scarcity mindset? Having too much material wealth can be as bad as having too little. Dopamine overload impairs our ability to delay gratification. Social media, exaggeration, and post-truth politics, or let's call it for what it is, lying, amplifies our sense of scarcity. Now the result is that even amongst plenty, we feel impoverished. Just as it is possible to have a scarcity mindset amidst plenty, it is also possible to have a plenty mindset amidst scarcity. The feeling of plenty comes from a source beyond the material world, believing in or working towards something outside ourselves, in fostering a life rich in human connectedness and meaning, can function as a social glue by giving us a plenty mindset. Finding connectedness and meaning requires radical honesty. What if, instead of seeking oblivion by escaping from the world, we actually turn toward it? What if, instead of leaving the world behind, we immerse ourselves in it? Lessons of the balance. Number one, the relentless pursuit of pleasure and avoidance of pain leads to pain. Number two, recovery begins with abstinence. Number three, abstinence resets the brain's reward pathway and with it our capacity to take joy in simpler pleasures. Number four, self-binding creates literal and metacognitive space between desire and consumption and in modern necessity in our dopamine overloaded world. Number five, medications can restore homeostasis, but consider what we lose by medicating away our pain. Number six, pressing on the pain side resets our balance on the side of pleasure. Number seven, be aware of getting addicted to pain. Number eight, radical honesty promotes awareness. It enhances intimacy and it fosters a plenty mindset. Number nine, pro-social shame affirms that we do belong to the human tribe. And number 10, instead of running away from the world, we can find escape by immersing ourselves in it.
And there you have it. Dopamine Nation, finding balance in the age of indulgence. Please do help out. It is easy. Simply like this video so more people can enjoy it. Now share it too and spread the word. Leave a comment and do share your thoughts. Subscribe to my channel and stay up to date. And the link to this book is in the description below. Buy it, read, never stop learning, especially learning about yourself and nature. So gift yourself by taking the free human needs test on my website and then find out what actually motivates you. What innate human need is driving all of your decisions and your behavior. If you feel you are ready to improve your self-awareness, social awareness, self-management and relationship management even further, then do check out my Master of Life Awareness program. The links are in the description below. Thank you. Love and respect.